and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So good to be with you all this morning as we're wrapping up our Epitaph series. Uh, we've been considering a few different things about life, about death, about legacy, and about eternal life, about the afterlife. And just a reminder what an epitaph is, we've been talking about epi means upon or over, taphos means uh, tomb, and so it's something that is written over someone's tomb, someone's grave, and it's uh, either an image or some words, and it's kind of a reminder of us what our lives are about and how we would summarize our lives. And as I mentioned earlier, one of our members, Denise Weirich, she created that art installation out in the courtyard. Uh, it's been 20 plus years in the making. We've got a picture of it there. And uh, <clears throat> the closer up view, as you've seen, is all of those ceramic molds. And just a reminder, as I said earlier, you can go pick one up after service, maybe pick one up for your family, a symbol to take home. And uh, it kind of lets the installation live on in all of our lives as a church. And I really love that sort of symbolism and that sort of uh, beautiful art making, and uh, it speaks to us and kind of helps us remind ourselves about what life is about. Now, epitaphs are interesting because they speak to us who are alive still, right? I mean, the epitaphs don't do anything for those who have died, right? I mean, they are for us. They speak to us about the person's life, their death, their legacy, uh, the eternal existence, and in this series, we've considered all the way back to week one when we started, on, uh, we started on All Saints Day. We remembered all those saints that have died in this past year in our congregation. Uh, then we looked at the life of Moses, and we considered how God can use us here for a life of great meaning, even when we don't expect it, and how he led Moses to free God's people. And we talked ultimately about that freedom we have for eternity in Jesus. Last week, we considered standing firm, standing firm on the rock of Jesus, that even when life seems to be crumbling down around us, God can give us new dreams, new life, new reality that can rise up, not only for eternity, but also for here and now. And so this week in this epitaph series, we're going to kind of look at that. And epitaphs, they sort of, they, they force us to think about what happens next, what happens after I die. And does what I do here and now affect there and then? Does who I am here and now determine what happens to me next? And what is this next like? And if you're like me, you've probably wondered about it. I mean, have you ever wondered what's it going to be like after you die? What is it going to be like when we get to heaven or to experience eternal life? What's it going to be like? Will it be like some of the best experiences we've ever had here on earth? Will it be like some of the best places we've experienced here on the planet earth? And if you could think about that, think about some of the best places you've ever been to in your life. Think about this idea of paradise. In fact, just close your eyes. Close your eyes right now. When I say that word paradise... What do you think about? I want you to picture yourself in paradise. What does it look like? What's the weather like? How do you feel? Who is there with you? What are you doing? How old are you or how young are you? Now, when I say that word paradise, what do you think of? What is paradise? About 18 years ago, around this time, I had paradise on my mind a lot. I was about to get married, and my wife and I, we were going to go off to Fiji. And I was dreaming about going to paradise, a small tropical island called Tokoriki, white sand beaches, not a care in the world. It was paradise. And man, I'm telling you, it was paradise. But nine days later, we got back on the boat, we got to the airplane, and we flew home, and paradise didn't last forever. 
And I learned in those things that paradise, we often seek it here and we often seek it now, but it often leaves us seeking paradise again. And sometimes we think that we're going to go off to paradise, but when we get there, we're disappointed. I saw a TV show once of a couple who was going off to a paradise vacation in Tahiti, but when they arrived, they arrived to a bunch of chaos and rioting. The people were revolting against the French government, and trust me, they did not find paradise in Tahiti on that vacation. Paradise. Have you found it? Have you been to paradise? Are you looking and are you yearning to be in paradise, or is paradise lost for you? I believe that we're all actually kind of looking for paradise. Because what is paradise really? Paradise is freedom from all the bad things that are in our lives. Paradise is peace. Paradise is better than the life that we have now. And paradise usually includes a picture of us being with those that we love the most. If you're wondering where this is going, as we look at our text today, we're confronted. We're confronted by two individuals, two individuals that we might say represent all of humanity. We're confronted by the two criminals that are hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and there's two crosses next to him. Criminals are hanging on there. And if we look at these two fellows, they're two people. They're just like you and I. And in many ways, they were seeking paradise. They were seeking peace. They were seeking freedom from the things around them. They were seeking their own vision of what paradise is. And as we look through this text, I want you to ask yourself, maybe that you can see yourself in these two criminals on the crosses next to Jesus. Luke 23, verse 32 says this. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. That first criminal, he was looking for paradise in all the wrong places, right? Because first of all, hanging upon the cross, the cross was reserved only for the most worst of criminals. Whatever he had done, he obviously had a wrong quest. He was looking for paradise in all the wrong places, and it turned up empty-handed. It left him for death. It left him for an agonizing, painful, suffering death. But before we get all judgy on that first criminal, I think in some ways we could say, aren't we like him? I mean, if you're like me, you often seek out paradise in all the wrong places. Do you ever kind of just wait for the next thing down the road to bring you peace in your life? Maybe it's the next job or the next accomplishment or the next possession or the next house or the next car or the next vacation or the next relationship or the next next. Maybe paradise is always something that you're striving for, wanting to get to, but you never get there. Something in the end that you never attain. Also, this criminal, he was so close to paradise and he didn't even know it. Physically, he was hanging feet from the Savior of the world. 
Yet spiritually, he was a million miles away. He's like almost to paradise, almost to peace. And I think sometimes we're the same way, aren't we? We're so close to the cross of Jesus Christ, yet we're so far from him. We're so close to the cross, but so far from the Christ. So close to the cross, but so far from paradise. We might go to church every week. We might even have a Christian fish or a St. John's Day on the back of our cars. We might be at the best Bible study there is or be part of a life group or even lead a life group. We might even be a pastor or a church worker or an elder or a leader. We might be so close to the cross, so close outwardly, so close maybe physically, that inside we may be so far from him, so distant, so separate, so much longing for our own idea of paradise, the way we want it, where we want it, and when we want it. As we look at that first criminal too, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe sometimes inwardly we cry out like that criminal. He cried out in mockery and disgust at Jesus. He said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And at times, maybe we've said the same thing. Aren't you the Christ? Can't you stop all the bloodshed in the world? Aren't you the Christ? Why did you allow so many thousands of people to die or suffer here or there? Aren't you the Christ? Why did you let my sister, my brother, my wife, my husband die? Aren't you the Christ? Why did you allow this disease, this divorce, this relationship? Aren't you the Christ? Why? And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we're like that first criminal hanging on the cross. But then, if you, by some mysterious act of God's grace, if you can get out of your own mind for just a second, imagine yourself hanging on that criminal's cross, and you just pause, and you stop listening to your own mind, and you just hear what just happened. You hear Jesus hanging on the cross with you. You hear, you really hear what he just said. Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This one, this Jesus, the one who didn't deserve any of this, he didn't deserve any of the things he was going through on the cross, he is interceding to God the Father, saying, Father, forgive them. How in the world is that possible? What, what is that? In that text, my friends, we get a glimpse at the purest and the sweetest gospel, the good news, the scandalous confrontation of the cross of Jesus Christ into our lives. And I'd venture to say that all of us here today in the room, we actually act like that second criminal. We're going to get to that text in a second. By some act of mercy, by some act of grace that we can't even understand, but that the Holy Spirit grabs hold of us on our cross and we hear those words of Jesus, this man, this Messiah, say, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And then we think, well, what did the crowds just say? The crowds just said he saved others. And if he saved others, well, maybe he could save me. And I love how the second thief on the cross, he sees it and it clicks for him and everything changes in his mind. The foolish things of the world all of a sudden become the very identity of his existence. The sign of mockery over Jesus' head fulfills everything he ever wanted. Maybe that describes your walk with God. That the crowd that you went along with before, their cries now make you cringe. For somehow you know how wrong they are and you see how wrong you have been. And you realize that you deserve to hang on that cross. Justice says that you should. 
That man, that Messiah, that Jesus, that King of the Jews who was so foreign to you a moment ago has become everything to you. You believe in him and you rebuke the other criminal, that first criminal saying this, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? That's the second criminal talking to the first criminal. He says, we are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And Jesus, then he said to Jesus, the second criminal says to him, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me where? You will be with me in paradise. That's verse 43, something happened with the thing, okay. It's in your hand out there if you want to follow along. Jesus said, truly today, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. And I love that story, you see, brothers and sisters, because in it we see the sweet gospel so clearly. And we see how utterly impossible it is for us to do anything to save ourselves. As we hang upon our crosses. As we hang on our crosses, we see the road that is going the exact opposite way of paradise. It's paved before us. And we turn. And we see Jesus the King, the Messiah, so close to us, hanging on the cross with us. And we cry out like that second criminal, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. That criminal on the cross, the second criminal, he knew he was going to die. He knew it was over. But he had hope that somehow this Jesus could do something. I mean, no one had ever survived a crucifixion. But somehow this criminal displays such a radical faith and hope in Jesus. He's saying that Jesus could do something. And then we see it. It all comes so clear and decisive. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, the paradise you'd been searching for all your life and you never found. It's now here. It's free. It's forever. It's with Jesus, with the suffering servant, with the king, the Messiah. That guy hanging on the cross next to you. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me, with me. Today in paradise. Paradise found in the last place anyone would expect it. Imagine yourself that you're that second criminal on the cross. You started that day on the road to death, agonizing death and suffering. And you're ending it on the path to life, to paradise. You would never have thought you could have found it there. The world's looking upon you in mockery and disdain, but you found paradise. Better yet, paradise found you and you didn't do a thing to get it. That's the gospel. This word that Jesus says from the cross, that word paradise, we might think of some tropical vacation, but it's no tropical vacation that he's referring to. In fact, if you look into the text, if you look in the, in the way the translations are, paradise is the same word that they used for the Garden of Eden. When they heard the word paradise, they're automatically thinking Garden of Eden. Today you will be with me in the state of the Garden of Eden. Where Adam and Eve, they walked with God so long ago in the beginning in that perfect place that it's restored. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, he says, you will be there with me today, restored to your garden fate. 
paradise, just like Adam and Eve before the fall where there was peace and provision and no death and no sin and no pain and no crying and no crosses to hang on, no disease, no death, no suffering, no depression, no weakness, no hatred to live in, no more sin to control, at peace with one another and at peace with God. As the scriptures say in the beginning, as they walked with God in the cool of the day, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And today, my friends, we get to realize that that promise is for you and for me. That we are that second criminal hanging on the cross next to Jesus, and that's our story. Because all of us are hanging on crosses of some sort or another. Christ says to us, you will be with me in paradise. He's given every one of us a deposit, a guarantee that it's going to happen. He's given every one of us the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts and our lives. And though we might struggle in this life, the Spirit guides us. The Spirit gives us hope, hope of a paradise that awaits us. And if he gave that hope to that guy hanging on that cross, that thief on the cross, right? That thief on the cross, he believed in Jesus and his short few hours of a life of faith. And in that short few hours, he actually produced good works. He stood boldly for Jesus Christ to the other criminal and all those that were gathered around and 2,000 years later were still reading his life of testimony and faith, even though it was a few short hours. And we see that his story is our story too. He had been given a free ticket to paradise. And that's our story too. We are in this world, and we have been given free tickets to paradise, one-way flights to paradise, eternal destination, and we long to be there. We long to get there, far more than going on our honeymoon or any tropical vacation. That's where we want to go. We can't wait to, but God has said, I got some work for you to do here before you take that ticket to paradise. In fact, I've given you a whole bunch of tickets free tickets to paradise, and I want you to pass out those one-way tickets to everyone that you know. Pass them out in your home, pass them out in your community, pass them out to everyone you know. One-way tickets to paradise. That's our destination. That's where we're going, all because of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. He did that for that second criminal on the cross who admitted his sin and came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I wonder about him sometimes. Where did they bury that second criminal? Where is his tomb? Did he have an epitaph? Was something written over his tomb that would describe his life? If he could choose what was written over it, what would it be? If you could choose, what would it be? I bet the thief on that cross, the second thief, two good words that would have been good for him would be in paradise testimony for all of us, and we know where he is. He is with Jesus, paradise restored. That epitaph, it will be ours one day. One day, Jesus will say to every one of us, the same thing he said to the thief on the cross, Luke 23, verse 43, today you will be with me in paradise.